All right. So thanks for coming on to Kowalski analysis. Uh, so let me uh, tell you everyone out there who I have on the show today. Tony Ingraciad has been married to his wife, Sherry, for 36 years. He's the father of three sons, grandfather of four children. He earned his bachelor's degree in biblical education from Florida Bible College, his master's degree in counseling from Covenant Theological Seminary. Tony is the pastor of, of the Outpost Church in St. Charles, Missouri, and is a licensed professional counselor and the director of Freedom Counseling Service, where he does individual and couples therapy and specializes in helping men who are struggling with sexual issues. Tony is also the founder of The Power of Purity, which is a nonprofit organization whose primary purpose is to help men learn to manage their sexual gift. I love how you put that. In a way that is honoring and pleasing to God. Tony has authored three books on the topic of sexual purity. The first one was called Stories, uh, The Redemption of One Man's Wounded Sexuality. The second one was called The Power of Purity, Freedom from the Roots of Sexual Sin. And the third one was called The Power of Purity Workbook, A Personal Guide to Understanding and Destroying the Roots of Sexual Sin. Tony lives in St. Charles, Missouri with his wife, Sherry, and owns a farm in northern, northern Missouri, which allows him to pursue his other interests, including hunting, fishing, and enjoying the great outdoors. Welcome to the show, Tony. Hey, Rob. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. And that is an impressive uh, resume you got there. So uh, so I was on Tony's uh, show. He has a podcast, like I mentioned, uh, last week, and he shared his story with me, and it, it was fascinating. And I knew I had to talk to you. One thing I really loved about you, honestly, Tony, was just your directness. Because, you know, like, you're like, so tell me, you're like, so were you just like having regular sex? Were there orgies? And you were like asking some hard questions that you don't usually get from somebody that, uh, you know, has a Christian podcast, let's say. And I was like, it was cool. I thought it was very raw and very honest and, uh, I enjoyed myself and I loved hearing your story, which everyone's going to get to hear today. So, Well, awesome. I, uh, I had a great time. It was a blessing to have you as a guest on our podcast. And uh, I guess I'm just used to telling my story, just kind of putting it out there, you know, yeah, uh, as little pretense as possible. So uh, I just appreciate your willingness to share your story with uh, my guests on our podcast. Oh, no, it was great. I loved it. We got into some good stuff. You know, I've, I've talked about that topic, you know, sexual purity a lot. And, and sometimes it gets, you know, the answers get redundant. I hear myself say the same things a lot. But for whatever reason, the way you ask the questions, I heard I said some things that I've never said before or, or I said them in a different way than I've ever said them before. So, you know, kudos to you. I don't know what, what the difference was, but it was it was very rich. Awesome. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah, I think. It was a great interview, and I have no doubt it's going to bless our listeners. I'm looking forward to publishing it. We publish our episode once a week, every Tuesday, and uh, tomorrow will be our next episode, and then your interview will be the next two weeks after that. So not tomorrow, but one week from tomorrow and two weeks from tomorrow. Part one and part two, Rob Kowalski of CityFam on the Power of Purity podcast. That's right. Where can people find that, by the way, so they know? Well, the name of the podcast is Power of Purity. So any podcast outlet, Power of Purity podcast, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, uh, iTunes, you know, any podcast outlet. 
and or they can go to our website, which is powerofpurity.org, O-R-G, and there's a link there that you can click on to listen to the podcast also. I've been presenting my podcast. Uh, we put out an episode. We try to keep it about 30 minutes every Tuesday. And I think tomorrow is going to be episode 229. Wow. And by God's grace, I've never, ever missed a Tuesday. Not yet. Uh, so God's helped me. And we publish a new episode every single week. So we've been doing it for several years now and have quite a following. So uh, it's a blessing. Yeah. I love to share my story and and pray that it can encourage and help others. Yeah. Well, well let's get into it. Um, there, you know, the power of purity. There's actually a few. I'm going on another person's show in the UK. She has a little show. It's called The Power of Purity. Uh, and then there's a there's a, a friend of mine in Vegas who has something. It might be purity power. I don't, I don't know, but there's a, there's a few of these floating around, but you actually have the website and you're, you know, yours is very established, but I think, um, there's a lot of confusion in purity. Like that. I know that there's power and I talk a lot about sex transmutation and the difference that it made in my life, but I don't think people understand it. Um, you know, the practical benefits of it, I guess. So first off, before we dive into that though, like Tell everybody about you because I, like I said, I was really fascinated by your story and I think the listeners or viewers will be also. Okay. Well, thanks, Rob. Um, my name's Tony. I've been married for 36 years to my beautiful wife, Sherry. And if you knew our story, and I'll try to share a little bit of it this evening, but if you knew our story, you would know that we are absolutely a miracle of God. The fact that my wife and I are still together after 36 years, because in the early years of our marriage, we absolutely went to the edge of hell and back. I don't think you could get any closer to being divorced than we were. And yet somehow we made it through by God's grace and mercy. So I've been married for 36 years. We are a miracle and we have three boys. I have four grandchildren. I'm in the ministry full-time. I pastor a little church in St. Charles, Missouri, I'm a licensed professional counselor, uh, but my love, my passion, what I believe my true calling is this purity ministry. I, I believe that God wants me to share my story with the world. So that's what I'm trying to do, you know, so that that really is my passion and yeah. I, I, I love it. So tell the listeners or viewers right now what, you know, how you started out with your marriage, basically, I don't want to, I don't want to, I won't do it justice if I tell it for you, but you know, you basically gave your life to Jesus at a young age and then had some struggles and the whole thought of, well, if I get married, I mean, can you give us a little bit, a little bit of sure, what you're sure. So I'll just kind of think out loud and uh, share some of the story. And along the way, if you have any thoughts or questions, observations, objections, just jump in, interrupt me and, sure. and I'll, I'll just talk, you know, well, uh, I became a true believer in Christ when I was 16 years old. And when I really understood the story of Jesus, it meant everything to me. For me, it explained all the big questions of life. When I finally understood who Jesus was, you know, where did we come from? Where did the universe come from? What's the purpose of life? What's worth living for? What's worth dying for? What happens to us after we die? Like Jesus answered all the big questions. So I embrace Christ. I open my heart to Christ. I ask Jesus to be my savior. 
So I became a true believer when I was 16. And I fell head over heels in love with God. I just knew this explains my life. I'm going to serve God the, the rest of my life. This is the purpose of my life. So I... How did that happen for you, by the way? Well, uh, I, I grew up it, it, Roman Catholic. I'm, I'm 100% full-blooded Sicilian. So most Italian families are Catholic, you know. So I grew up Catholic and... I hated church. I didn't want anything to do with it. I thought it was incredibly boring. I remember my mom used to say when I was a little kid that she wanted me to become a Catholic priest. I was going to be her priest. And I thought she was nuts. I thought, holy cow, I can't even stand to sit in church for one hour, let alone do this all the time every day, you know? Right. So I, I just was not interested in spiritual things. And then when I was 16 years old, my older brother, Sam, who's four years older than me. He was dating this gal. And through a series of events, him and his girlfriend started going to this kind of Bible study youth group thing and they became Christians. And so they invited me to come. They drugged me along. And so I started going to this Christian youth group. And it was really weird because young people were there, my age, teenagers, and they were carrying Bibles and they had joy and they were happy and they talked about God and serving God. They were genuinely excited about God. And it was, uh, it was rather uh, powerful and uh, I, I don't want to say addictive, uh, contagious, yeah. you know? And uh, of course there was a social scene involved and they'd, they'd have barbecues and outings and fun events. And I wanted to go and there were cute girls there and, so I, I just clicked and I, and they, like shared, City Man. I think so. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I, I heard the gospel and That's it awesome. was, and it was awesome. And I understood the message of Jesus. So, so I became a believer in Christ. So even Let me though, ask you a question, do you yeah. remember the first time you heard God's voice or felt his presence? Um, what made you believe when you heard it? it was well, I remember uh, at the time there was a little gospel track that that they had around that this youth group that they would use, share Christ with people. And the title said, am I going to heaven? And you open, you open the track and on the front cover, there was a little test and said, check below, what do you think you have to do to go to heaven? And there was like 30 little choices go to church, be a good person, do good deeds, give money, serve the poor, you know, don't steal, don't lie, don't cut, you know, all these do's and don't. what, what do you have to do to go to heaven? And I, I looked at it and I studied it for a little bit. And uh, the person that gave it to me, I finally said, I don't think you have to do any of these things to go to heaven. And somehow I had an intuition of the gospel that it's not by works, that we can't earn our salvation. It's not through our obedience, our good deeds, but it's through the sacrificial work of Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. So I just had an intuition about the gospel. I knew that I couldn't earn it and that God just kind of loves us. And I, I, I guess I never really understood the work of Christ, that that I was a sinner, that Jesus died for my sins on the cross. His blood was shed for a reason. And through the blood of Christ, we receive these incredible gifts from God. I can think of four off the top of my uh, 
head. One is the forgiveness of our sins. One is we become a child of God. One is uh, we enter into a personal relationship with God. So we don't have to wait till we die and go to heaven. Then we can know God, but rather we can begin to know God right here and now in this life on this earth. And the fourth amazing gift is the gift of eternal life. You know, John chapter six, verse 47, Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, he that believes in me has everlasting life. Mm -hmm. So, so it just made sense to me. It's, you know, as, as they talk about the longest distance in the world is from here to here, the 18 inches from your head to your heart. So I grew up in the Catholic church and I always heard about Jesus and I knew that Jesus died on the cross. I knew about the resurrection on Easter. We celebrate the resurrection, but I never connected the dots. And it's like the gospel. I knew Jesus died up here, but somehow when I was 16 and I heard the gospel, it went from my head to my heart. And like, I had this aha moment and a light went off in my head and my heart and my soul. And I could see Jesus. I, I understood who Jesus was and it just made sense. And I wanted Jesus to be my savior. That's so, awesome. So, so I was born yeah, again. Yeah. That's great. So I, we got a lot of questions. I know there's a lot of people out there that struggle with uh, in this area. So I really want to get to them and we only have an hour. So I want to, I want to go back to your story and, and share with, uh, with everyone that's watching or listening, what you share with me, how you started out uh, with your marriage and your wife and all that. Okay. Well, <laughs> when I was uh, 16, as I said, I became a Christian. Uh, I fell in love with God. I, I went to Bible school to study for ministry and I was going to church and I was very involved. I mean, God defined my life, but I had one outstanding problem, one big, big issue that did not follow me into the kingdom of God. And that had to do with the expression of my sexual gift. And for whatever reason, I had a problem with sex that I did not understand. And even though I was a believer in Christ now, I love God, I was trying to serve God, I even intended to go into the ministry, I could not resist sexual temptation. It seemed like whenever sexual temptation came along, it was stronger than me. It was more powerful than me. It's not that I didn't know what's right and what's wrong, Rob. You know, it's like, I, I knew that's wrong. I shouldn't do that. If I do it, God's not going to be happy. I'm probably going to feel shame. I'm going to feel conviction. I wish I wouldn't have done it. I'm going to re- regret it. I don't want my friends to know it. I know that I shouldn't do that. So I had all the cognition And even though I know what I should do and not do, but I was powerless to not do it. Somehow, sexual temptation and sexual sin held authority over me. It had this power over me. And uh, it's like, if this is Tony, this is uh, sex, sex was over me. And it dominated me. How long long were you, you, you feel like, did you have that struggle? Uh, I had that struggle for a long time. Uh, it, it basically followed me uh, through my teenage years, followed me through Bible school. Then I got married and it followed me into my marriage and went on for at least the first 12 years of my marriage. So 
I would say I really for real started dealing with it when I was like 38 years old. So hold on, let's so go for back for a second. Over so for 20 years, over 20 years, I struggled with this. So you were just like, anytime an opportunity to have sex came along, you took it or you're talking about masturbation or are we talking about both? Yeah. Uh, you know, I acted out with young ladies in dating relationships, uh, pornography on occasion, uh, essentially compulsive masturbation, uh, mm -hmm. perpetual lust in my yeah. heart, yeah. you know, all, all these things, uh, you know, I tried to exercise some level of, of self-control. I wasn't always very good at it. I was, I was never anything like you. I mean, your, your story was amazing. You know, the fact that you were a stripper and you said that you think that you've had sex with hundreds of, you've had hundreds of sexual partners. Yeah. I, I wasn't anything like that, active like that, but but I just acted out. I, I, I was tempted. I would act out. I failed over and over and over again. And I, I just was uh, incapable of honoring God with my sexual gift. So what were you doing? Because I know I had the same struggle when I came out of that lifestyle. It was when you said compulsive masturbation, I would resist it for maybe a week or two. And then I, I would succumb to it. And then I would jerk off like five times in one day. Cause right. at that point I was like, oh, I blew it. Might as well enjoy myself or <laughs> basically right. a terrible way to think about it. But um, what kind of things were you doing to combat it when you were still struggling? Cause I'm sure there's people out there that are fighting this battle. Well, you know, as I said, I was, I was in the Bible college and uh, I had a walk with God. I was serving God involved in different ministries. I would read my Bible. I would pray. I would talk to other Christian brothers. So I was trying to do everything that I knew to do to try to be a good Christian, right? you sure. know, to, to offset this problem that I had. But it seemed like no matter what I did, I, I just could not resist. Yeah. And whenever these temptations came along, I would surrender. I would yield. I would submit to these temptations. I would act out. So you told me you, you got married to your wife and it was the, the thought that you had was, well, I'm having these temptations and I, I need to just get married because then I can have sex anytime I want it. Guilt-free, right. guilt-free sex. Right. And right? I, I think that's a, a something that so many guys think. And let me assure you, if you're a single guy out there, if you think that marriage is going to solve your problem with sex, I absolutely promise you it will not. Well, hold on. Let me ask you a question. So did you and your wife wait? No. Okay. Because no, I, I, I was a young man with a sexual addiction. Right. Sex owned me. Are you yeah, kidding yeah. me? We, we dated like a year and a half. There's no way. Sure. No, I, I get it. And, I just... and, and, and that's one of my regrets. I wish that I would have played it different. I wish I could have been a different version of Tony back then that would have been a better spiritual leader, a better man of God, that I would have honored my wife in that way before we got married. But yeah, no, your story is awesome. I mean, the way God redeemed everything. I was just curious. I, didn't, I mean, I assume probably not because even you know, very few people within the church wait. I was just curious if, if that was the case. But you said, because I'm, I'm hoping that uh, you know, I desire to have sex and I've struggled with lust. Um, I'm hoping that getting married solves it. The Bible says that it's better for a man to marry than burn with lust. So it kind of alludes right. to the fact that getting married will satisfy 
this temptation, at least on some level. You don't agree with that? I, I do. Absolutely. It, ideally, if it's a perfect world, it should work that way. God's will, plan, design, and purpose is that a, a man and a woman marry a husband and wife and that they're available to one another sexually and that they enjoy this wonderful, awesome gift that God has given them. And it, it, it's a source of connection and intimacy and vulnerability and, and fulfillment, you know. Yeah. But the problem for us, which I, I don't think is that uncommon, I think it happens a lot, is I was an absolute mess when we got married. I essentially was a young man with a sexual addiction. My wife was a young lady with a sexual aversion. So if you can picture two trains on the same track going yeah. full speed toward each other, yeah, we collided on September 17th, 1983. That was our wedding day. And, and we came out of the gate. And I'm telling you, we were an absolute disaster from our wedding day. Mm. We, we were missing each other. We could, cannot, could, we could not connect sexually. And so ideally, yeah, God intends sex to be a wonderful, fulfilling gift in marriage. But when two deeply, profoundly broken people come into a marriage, yeah. marriage just doesn't automatically fix it people got to deal with their issues. They got to understand what's wrong. And uh, I was a young man, as I said, with a sexual addiction, my wife had a sexual aversion. And basically my, my wife in her own way was shut down against me. I think very rightfully so because of her story and my story. And so we would go for prolonged periods of time in the early years of our marriage with no sexual intimacy. Hmm. One, one time we actually went nine months yeah. and then we might be intimate and then it might be five months or seven months or four months or whatever. So, right. so I still had my sex addiction at this point that I didn't understand. And I thought that I'd get married and I'd have a wife that I could have sex with <laughs> once in a while. And, and it didn't work out that way. So it was confusing and overwhelming. And I was angry and upset and confused and mad at her and mad at God. And so I would act out. So now I'm married and I'm acting out uh, in a looking sinful at way. Porn, looking at porn, sometimes cheating on yeah. occasion. Going like to strip clubs on occasion. Mm -hmm. And then I eventually became involved in three different adulterous affairs in the context of our marriage. Yeah. So, you know, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. And uh, without a doubt, the enemy was trying to perpetrate utter destruction upon our lives and our marriage. And he came very close to doing it. And it all came to a head. You told me that you had basically you had a conversation with your wife where you just kind of came clean, right? That's right. Yeah, I, I never did get officially caught by my wife. I finally went to my wife one night and confessed to her. I had actually become, uh, I, I became sexually involved with her best friend. Wow. And my best friend's wife. Wow. So, uh, which was horrible. It's one of the most heinous, shameful things of my life. I mean, if you're going to have an affair, at least have an affair with a complete stranger, not your right. wife's best friend. Yeah. But, you know, as these things go, that sometimes things happen like this. People get involved with people in their circumference in life. And sure. one thing leads to the other. But it, let me just tell you, Rob, it's a bad day when you wake up and you look in the mirror 
and you don't like the person that you see. Man, I feel you on that, brother. It's, it's, that it's like, dude, who are you? Tony, this is not who you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be a believer. You're supposed to love God and serve God. You're, su- you're going to be in the ministry. You're supposed to, m- m- your life is supposed to make a difference for God's kingdom. Like, how did I end up in this place where I was making these decisions and acting out literally in violation, not only of my profession of faith, but of my very own conscience. Yeah. I knew that the things I w- w- were participating in were wrong and I shouldn't be doing it and God don't want me to do it. And yet I couldn't resist it, you know? Yeah. So basically you go to your wife, you tell her, okay, look, uh, I'm, mess- I'm messing around. I don't want to be messing around, but you, you know, I, I, but you won't have sex with me. In essence, that's what you said, right? And is something like that? Is that what you told me? Right. Basically, I, I appealed to her. I said, if you know, if you want to divorce me, I guess we can get divorced. But I don't want to get divorced. I want us to get fixed. But all I know is that what whatever this is, however we're doing marriage, it isn't working. Like, yeah. so we, we need help. So I'll go to counseling. If you'll go to counseling, like, can we try to figure this out? Right. And we, we cried together that night and we prayed together. My wife told me that she did not want to get divorced. At that point, she even, uh, she, she was willing to assume the blame. She, she, she essentially said that night, I don't blame you for having affairs because I won't have sex with you and I'm your wife, but I don't know why I can't have sex. I want to, but I can't. And yeah. that, that implicates her own story, her own sexual abuse and issues in her heart and life that she had never, yeah. ever dealt with. So her junk followed her into the marriage. My junk followed me into the marriage. We were both a mess when we came into the marriage. And do you know what happens, Rob, when you put two messes together? <laughs> it just increases it. You get a bigger mess. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's right. So we we were the big mess. So we drug ourselves into a Christian counselor that very week, and we started going to counseling. And that process, uh, by the way, guess how long we went to counseling? Uh, you, are you still going? Yeah. No. Uh, well, coincidentally, we are going to counseling. We've gone on and off, on and off. But that first stint, we went six and a half years. Wow. Nonstop. How long I, did it take you to start to work out these these problems to the point where you y'all were having regular sex again? Uh, I would say that, uh, well, that's a little bit of a loaded question. It's not an easy question because it's not like everything was bad, 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 bad. And we came to a certain day and it went up and everything was good. Like we were fixed. It was a very messy process. Two steps forward, one step back, Mm -hmm. one step forward, five (laughs) steps back. So uh, it was not a linear process. As you know, the, the shortest distance between two points, A and B, is a straight line. Right. But it wasn't a straight line. It, it was a messy process. And one of the things that I say now, those six and a half years that we went to therapy, um, they were wonderful and they were terrible years. Yeah, Wonderful in the sense that God was dealing with us it's like when you need a surgery, the surgeon cuts you open. So it's very painful and hurtful. And it's odd, an odd remedy, because in a way, the surgeon is saying to heal you, 
I'm going to hurt you even more. So right. dude, when God cuts your soul open and starts going to work, it's wonderful, but it's also terrible. It's difficult. And so it was a very difficult process, but it was redemptive. And somehow my wife and I hung in there through it all. And God proved himself faithful and we, we came out the uh, other end much healthier. Yeah. I got a lot of questions. So I was thinking about some of the things you told me the other day. Uh, one of the, one of the mile markers or, or stats that you shared with me was that it's been 20. Okay. So let me, I think I need to back it up. One of the things you shared with me was that the way your body is wired, that you need to ejaculate at least once every what, seven days, or you start feeling physical pain. Is that correct? Yeah, I would actually say five to six days. I, five I, to I, six days. Yeah, okay. I, I I have an issue. Yeah, <laughs> and then you mentioned that, you know, like you, you, I think it was twenty plus years since you've, you know, you've honored your wife with that. Meaning, like you haven't masturbated outside, like you know, to. I think I'm getting ahead of myself, but basically, you you know, you've only had sex with your wife 20 plus years and you haven't masturbated um, except for the, I think it was one time she gave you permission because there was going to be an extended uh, separation. Well, you're, you're, you're close, but not I'm exact. Close, right? Babe, come here. I just want everybody to see you. <laughs> I want to see her. She she was out walking and she just walked in the door. So would you just come and say hi? Because I'm talking, I'm talking about my beautiful wife. Here she is. Her name is Sherry. Trust Hi, me, I, I, I married way up. You and, did. Uh, this is my beautiful wife. Yeah, you're way too hot for Tony. <laughs> no, that's I've awesome. Got, I've got good taste, man. <laughs> so share share what you shared with me the other day, because I, I have some questions uh, around that. Later. Okay, well, uh, gee, it's, it's almost hard. Where do I start? Let me, let me just say that as is, mm. is, is we went into this therapeutic process, what happened was I'm trying to figure out, I'm in counseling and, and a big part of me that I'm trying to understand is why do I have this problem with sex? What is my problem? Why, why? And, and that's when I actually learned and identified that, that I had a sexual addiction, you know? So what's going on with that? So I, I'm working on this and uh, in the midst of my therapeutic process, my therapist uh, and I, we started talking about the concept of repentance because I came to understand that repentance is the spiritual power, the spiritual energy, the spiritual dynamic that, that has the power to change the human heart. And that if I was ever going to be healthier sexually, it's not just about changing my behavior on the outside my bigger problem was on the inside. It was my heart. Because if you try to change who you are on the outside of your life, but you have not had a corresponding inward change of heart, then it's an exercise in futility. And repentance is what changes the heart on the inside. So I went on what I call my repentance survey, uh, on my repentance, my journey of repentance. And I was trying to figure out how do I get repentance? If it's repentance that changes my heart, well, my counselor suggested, why don't you talk to several Christian friends about repentance and see what they have to say? So I put together a little survey, six questions on repentance. I called it the repentance survey. And over the next 
seven or eight weeks, I, my goal was to take one person to lunch at once a week for like eight weeks. And I interviewed Christian people. And coincidentally, of those people, uh, five of them were pastors, five or six, I think it was five. So I went to this uh, luncheon with this pastor one day. His name was Pastor Bruce, and he was the pastor of a, a church here in the St. Louis area. And I didn't know him real well, but I had met him a few times. So I called him and said, hey, Pastor Bruce, can I uh, take you to lunch? I, I need to talk to you. He said, sure. So we set it up. We go to lunch. And so we sit down to lunch, and I open my little survey and I said, I'm, I'm going to counseling. My wife and I are going to counseling and I'm working on a project. What is repentance? So I have a little survey. I'm going to ask you six questions about repentance. And he said, Tony, shut your book. I said, what? He said, shut your book. He said, I'll, I'll answer your questions, but just tell me first, what's going on? Why are you doing this? So I said, do you really want to know? He said, yeah. And I, I said, well, my wife and I are going to counseling because our marriage is an absolute disaster. My, my wife never wants to have sex and I have a problem with sex. And since I don't really have sex with my wife that much, so therefore I act out and I've gone to strip clubs and I've had affairs and I've been involved with an affair with my wife's best friend and I've used pornography and compulsive masturbation. So I love God and I'm trying to be a good Christian, but I got this problem with sex and I don't know what's wrong with me and I'm trying to figure it out and I'm going to counseling and my counselor's telling me that I need repentance because repentance is what will change my heart on the inside. So that's why I'm doing this repentance survey. So I'm talking with this pastor now. And as we're talking, what was supposed to be a one hour lunch that day became a four hour lunch. Okay. So I'm very grateful. And uh, this day, this event, Rob, becomes a holy event for me. Like when Moses was at the burning bush and God said, take off your shoes, dude, this is a holy place. This became a holy, uh, a line of demarcation in my life. One of the most important days of my life, if not wow. the most important. So this, it, as this pastor sharing with me, he begins to share with me and say, Tony, and he didn't use these words exactly, but the essence was, if you're going to do sex the way God wants you to do sex, you can only express your sexual gift with your wife. It, it, it conveys the concept of exclusivity. This means that your body belongs with your wife. Your penis belongs with your wife. Your orgasm belongs with your wife. You can never, ever, ever express your sexual gift apart from your wife. Which, so, yeah, which should be fairly easy if your wife is uh, having right, sex. Right, right. And I, I think that would be uh, pretty easy to support biblically, by the way. Yeah, sure, God sure. wants us to be faithful to our spouse. Absolutely. With and sex. I, absolutely. So I, I objected to the pastor and I said, pastor, you don't understand. I've got a problem because my wife never wants to have sex. Like we have this problem. Mm. So if I can only have sex with my wife, but I never have sex with my wife, then you're consigning me to be asexual, non-sexual. And yeah. I know myself, I can't do that, Pastor. There's no way I can do that. 
And I'm so grateful, Rob, for this, uh, this man of God, for, for his heart, for his wisdom and his strength, because he looked at me and he didn't apologize for what God says. And he said, Tony, you are absolutely right when you say that you cannot do this. You are correct. You cannot do it. He said, and therefore, what this means is that you are going to need God's grace and mercy in your life more than you've ever needed it. And what you're going to do is you're going to trust in God more desperately than you ever have, not a month at a time, not a week at a time, not a day at a time, not an hour at a time, literally one minute at a time, one minute, that's your goal. So you cry out to God, oh God, help me, Lord. I can't do it, God. I pray for your mercy, oh God, help me be a man of purity. Help me not act out for the next minute. And if you make that minute, then start over and cry out to God and see if you can make it one more minute. Wow. And then start over and make it one more minute. And he said, that's how you're going to live from now on. More desperate for God than you have ever been. So how long did you... So, did you make it like, you know, without, cause you, I'm assuming that you and your wife were still on the men, you were still trying to repair things. So there was, right. and we were still going to counseling and it was still a disaster and was, we still weren't having sex. Okay. okay so how long but were that, you going now without sex? Okay. I'll an answer your question. Ba basically it, I, I did this for two years. Okay. I, I entered into a period of essentially celibacy within the context of my marriage, even though we were married, we maybe had sex a couple few times those two years, but essentially we were inactive, okay? And you but weren't masturbating. No, and there was a gigantic difference this time though, Rob, because the, the old situation was that my wife and I are not having sex. So I was sneaking off getting what I call my bonus orgasms I was acting out outside of my marriage, taking care of it myself. Sure. Well, this time there was something radically different because my wife and I aren't having sex, but I couldn't go get orgasms anymore because right. God had me hemmed in it, through what I call my holy vow. I had made this vow to commit my sexual self, my body, my penis, my orgasm to my wife. So that's exactly what I did. So for two years... I walked out this holy vow. I lived in celibacy within the context of my marriage. And by the way, there's a lot that can be said about these two years because it was profoundly difficult, not just the emotional part, the sexual part, the temptation part, but I had an issue in my physical body. When, right. when, when I turned my body off sexually, I I took authority over my body. It, it's like this. If this, this is Tony and this is my body. My body was over me. My body held authority over me and my body told me my whole life when it wanted an orgasm and I basically served my body. Right. I lived in some, and, and when I made my holy vow, what I did is essentially went like this. For the first time in my life, I took authority over my body, which is very biblical. And I said to my body, you don't tell me anymore when we get an orgasm, I tell you. And so if we get, and it's only going to be with Sherry. 
So if we get the opportunity tonight, that's great. But if we have to wait seven months, then we're going to wait seven months. So, so I, I literally this. took authority over my body and I yeah. walked in that for two years. So you said, but no, I, I understand that. So you said though, after five to seven days, your body feels physical pain. So were you just like living in pain during this? I, I lived literally in physical pain for two years. I could talk a lot about that. It was a huge part of the redemptive process for me. I, wow. I, I, the pain, the literal pain was part of it. I got in a situation where when uh, I, this might be too much uh, information, I don't yeah. know, but okay, you can be. I, I would go potty, <laughs> and and at the end, I would have this weird sensation, like oh, what is? And and a stream of sperm would come out of me. Wow! It wasn't an orgasm. I didn't have an orgasm, but it's like my body needed the release was rebelling against me, like it had to do something. Yeah. So I went to my my urologist. And, and I talked to him about this. Is there anything I can do? Is there medicine? Is there... And he was confused. And he said, Tony, what the heck is going on? He said to me, Tony, a man's body does not do that. A man does not urinate sperm. It doesn't come out that way. Right. And I said, dude, I don't care what doctor you are. I don't care what degrees you have. I know what my body's doing. And believe me, I'm telling you the truth. Yeah. He said, well, just masturbate, relieve yourself. And I said, I can't. And he said, why not? And I said, doctor, if I tell you, you're going to think I'm crazy. He said, what? I said, God won't let me. <laughs> and he was like, I don't think this guy was a believer, but he was like, well, I guess you got to do whatever you got to do. But if I was, if I was you, I'd just masturbate. Why right. live with the pain? Yeah. So now that's interesting because you didn't tell me about that, <clears throat> about that nine months. Cause I was thinking about you today when I was like, what do I want to talk to Tony about? No, for, for two years, but there's still a, an important part of the story that I need to get to. Okay. Go ahead. Finish that. And I okay. So this goes on for two years. Okay. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to obey God. I'm trying to honor God with my sexual gift. I'm trying to honor my wife with my sexual gift. I'm only supposed to have sex or orgasms with my wife. So I'm waiting for my wife, but our marriage is so broken still that this, this thing isn't happening. Well, and my wife and I are going to, to counseling the whole time. At the end of two years, one one day, my wife and I had a fight. This is about two years in. I think it was a little over two years. And basically, my wife scorned my holy vow. She mocked it. Uh, yeah. she, she said to me, I don't care about your holy vow. She said, in fact, I think you're the old Tony and you're trying to manipulate me with your holy vow. You're trying to pressure me to make me have sex with you. Oh, because poor Tony can only have sex with his wife. You're trying to use God as an excuse to make me have sex with you. So I don't care about your vow. So I, I was pissed. I was pissed at my wife and I was pissed at God. And uh, I said to my wife, oh, so you don't care about my holy vow. You don't care about my vow of exclusivity to you. You don't care if I only have orgasms with you. So what you're telling me is 
I can go get orgasms apart from you, right? That's what you're telling me. You don't care. So this day I renounce my vow. My vow is gone and I have the right to get orgasms. And I started masturbating again. And essentially what I was doing, Rob, I was having a toning tantrum, which <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at, by the way. Okay. And I was pissed at God and pissed at my wife. And I thought, screw this, God, I've tried to do the right thing for two years. My wife hasn't changed. I live in physical pain. I'm urinating sperm. I, you know, nothing's <laughs> changed. So what's the use of trying to do this God's way, you know? So I started acting out again. So about a month goes by and my wife, Sherry, and I went to counseling one day. We walk in the office and we sit down and the counselor says, where should we begin? And Sherry raised her hand and she said, I, I have a topic. She said, she pointed at me. She said, Tony started masturbating again and I don't want him to. I looked at her. I couldn't believe it. So I said, wait a minute, you're my wife and you're supposed to have sex with me. And I'm trying to honor you to wait for you, but you, we never have sex. But if I masturbate, you're offended. You don't want me to masturbate, but you don't want to have sex with me. Like this, you're putting me in this impossible situation. So my wife said to me that day, and this is another day of my life, a line of demarcation, a huge day. My wife raised her hand and said, if you will go back to your holy vow, I promise you that with God's help and grace, we will have sex at least once a week from now on. And I immediately raised my hand. I was <laughs> like, are you once a week? Are you kidding me? I was used to going months and months and months. Once a week, I would think I was in heaven. So, so we reset, we made this commitment to each other. And from that day forward to this day, Rob, I have honored my holy vow to my wife. And that was in October that year. And this right now, the, the night of this uh, Facebook Live is June, right? June 15th. So November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June, that's eight months. That was 20 years and eight months ago. So for the past 20 years and eight months, I have honored my vow to my wife and I have not expressed my sexual gift apart from my wife. I have not had one single orgasm apart from my wife for over 20 years now. So I am living proof that, it, that God can heal deeply broken men. I can, I'm living proof God can heal sexual addiction. We are living proof that God can heal deeply broken marriages. Yeah. And uh, just for the fun of it, I'll throw this in that uh, after several months, I went to my wife and said, uh, once a week is still a little bit hard for me. Is there any chance we could try twice a week? And I promise I'll never ask three times a week. And she said, we'll see, I'll do my best. So my, my wife is uh, precious and awesome. And we have uh, walked in this vow for over 20 years now by God's grace. That's awesome, Tony. So yeah, the question I was thinking about um, cause you had mentioned how your body feels physical pain at, you know, five to seven days without an orgasm. I'm like, what would you tell somebody that was like single, you know, because 
it's very frustrating. I mean, I've been, I've been single and sex free for 15 of the last 20 years. It's very difficult. It's frustrating. Does sex, sex free mean not even masturbation? No, no, I've struggled with it. I've struggled with it. And it's, you know, mean, struggle, meaning you act out, you try to resist, you try to yeah. not do it. Then you act out. I'll go. So, yeah, I sign covenants with God. I, you know, I've, accountability I've been prayed for. I mean, I, I've gone a year and a half once. Uh, when, wow. I, when I first got saved, I went a year and a half without masturbating. That's just amazing. On, just on sheer determination. Praise Seriously. God. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I just, ran out of gas because I, I didn't think it would be that long. I thought God would have brought me a wife quicker than that. And I got frustrated. Right. And of course I was horny and everything else. So, you know, what do you, what do you tell someone that's single, like a client of yours or whatever, they're, they're not married and, and they shouldn't be looking at porn and they really even shouldn't be masturbating because they're conjuring some thought up in their head. Right. And, and Jesus is pretty clear about, you know, lusting, you know, in your mind's eye, it's committing adultery in your heart. So what do you, you tell them? You just kind of fight through it. Like you did those nine months, I guess. Now what, uh, for two years, not just nine oh, two months. Years. I'm sorry. You yeah, said that yeah. before, but anyway, uh, there's a lot that can be said about this. And let me just say that if, if you're interested in this topic, if you go to my podcast, I have a, uh, a teaching there, a series of episodes called What About Masturbation? Mm -hmm. it's, it's this very topic, okay? So just a couple key thoughts. Number one, if I had to pick one word to define this whole discussion as like an umbrella, I'd pick the word grace, okay? I think God is a God of grace and a God of mercy. And the answer isn't in the law. It's not about legalism, Okay. Uh, a second thought that I have is Let me that, ask you a question about grace though. Yeah. Cause there's, cause I've heard grace defined a few different ways. So grace would be like, you know, not getting what you don't deserve. That would be mm -hmm. one definition of grace. I heard someone else define grace as God's power to do easily, what you could never do for yourself. I like we, that. Yeah. That was Joyce Meyer. I heard, I heard her say that. And I love that. Which, which, which grace are we talking about? Are we talking about God. What, what I guess what I mean most specifically is that, I believe God is gracious toward us and we need to be gracious toward ourselves. Mm -hmm. There is no condemnation in Christ. So essentially, if you mess up, it doesn't mean you're a horrible person. doesn't mean God hates you or God's disappointed in you or God's going to send you to hell. God is gracious. I think he understands that we are flesh and that we struggle and as I said earlier, it, you know, what is sanctification? It's a process. It's a messy process. Sure. It's not a neat, clean, linear process, point A to point B. It's two steps forward, one step back, one step forward, three steps back, blah, blah, yeah. blah. So it's messy. And we just receive God's grace and we do the best we can. Yeah. So, so but, but, but sin, yeah, I agree with everything that you said. And I, I, I don't mean to say in that because of God's grace, no, of course we, it's that not a we have, that we have license to sin. Right. But oh well, I can do it, and God will just forgive me. So what's the difference, you know? Because I think what people forget is yes, there's forgiveness, and God it doesn't change the fact that God loves you, but there are consequences to That's us. right. Then Absolutely. Then yes. can block the blessings. That's right. You know. That's so right. That's a, that's a good reason to keep it out of your life. But yeah. So go ahead. Go. go 
basically. Okay, so so grace, number one. The second thing I would say is that it is absolutely between you and God. I think one of the beautiful distinctives of Christianity from virtually every other religion on planet Earth is that we believe that we can have a personal authentic living relationship with God. I can know God. I can walk with God, fellowship with God. I can talk to God. I can hear God. I can seek God. So I have a relationship with God. So I would never dare to say that one size fits all. I believe God wants me to share my story with men. And that's what I do. And in my story, what God convicted me of was I could not masturbate at all, not even one time apart from my wife. That's what God showed me. When I share my story, I'm not telling every man who hears my story, dude, God's telling you to do what God told me. I don't know what God wants you to do. It's between you and God because it's your life and your walk with God and your Christianity. So you seek God and you figure out what you think God is asking of you. Yeah, and then- just and to then cl- obey God. Just to clarify, though, you you do because the Bible is a little ambiguous about masturbation. It doesn't say a whole lot about it. I think it, one of the persons in the Old Testament spilled their seed on the ground, and God right. was pleased with it. Right. And it but really, you know, you know what the Bible is clear about? What's that? Lust is lust. sin. Jesus said, "If you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery." What if you What if you are married and you and you think about your wife and you masturbate? Is that a sin? Uh, well, the, see, the distinctive that I would make is I, I believe very strongly, and I believe I can support it biblically, this concept of exclusivity. God's will, plan, design for human sexuality is that it occur within marriage, and there is an exclusivity, and that I should never, ever express my sexual gift apart from my wife. My sexual gift belongs to two people, it belo- really three people. It belongs to me, but it belongs to God and to my wife. And I'm called to honor God and honor my wife with the expression of my sexual gift. So if I was going to masturbate apart from my wife, which over the past 20 years has happened a few times in my situation, but always with my wife's blessing and knowledge. So if you're going to masturbate and think about your wife, yeah, that's awesome, dude. But let her know. Hmm. I, I don't. I, I have this concept that I call stealing orgasms, or double dipping, or getting bonus orgasms. If you're sneaking off and whacking off, <laughs> or jerking off apart from your wife, and she doesn't know about it, then you are expressing your sexual gift apart from her. Sure. And I believe that's in violation of God's design. So if it happens, just make sure. Uh, so, you know, we've been in situations where my wife was going out of the country on a mission trip for 10 or 12 days. And she knows I have an issue with pain after five, six, seven days. So she said, she said to me, if you need to masturbate one time while, while I'm away, I give you permission. I bless you to do that. Uh, I, I don't want you to be in pain until yeah. I, I get home. So I've masturbated, but only with my wife's knowledge and permission and blessing. And therefore, I believe that I can say with a clear conscience, I'm honoring my wife and I'm not expressing my sexual self apart from her because she, she knows what's going on. So everything is in the light. There's accountability. All my cards are on the table with my wife. 
And I think God honors that. And I think God blesses that. Tony, let me open this blind real quick. Cause I'm getting some darkness on my face. Okay. So going out. Hold on a moment. We don't want you in the darkness, dude. We want you in the light. Exactly. So while Rob's away, I, I, oh, he's back already. I was going to say, I don't presume, but I just want to invite everybody to check out our website is www.powerofpurity.org. And the podcast is the Power of Purity podcast. And uh, there's 229 episodes out there as of tomorrow and a lot of different themes. And we talk about all these different aspects of human sexuality and really the intersection, I would say, picture a three-way stop, three different streets. They come together and there's three stop signs. There's an intersection right there, a very interesting intersection. And these three, three streets are men and sex and just talk about that imagine just men and sex coming together at that intersection there's profound implications of that if there's men and sex do you know what happens some men become strippers and drive around three states stripping for women (laughs) and have sex with hundreds of women that's the the intersection of men and sex all kinds of crazy stuff happens But the third street is God. And when you bring God into the equation and what God says about sex, and by the way, Rob, most people would be shocked, surprised if not shocked at how much God says about sex in the Bible. God has a will, a plan, a design, a voice, an opinion about sex. Yeah. And if we purpose to do sex God's way, that third intersection And that's what we talk about in my podcast, God and sex and men. How, how does that fit together? Right. Love it. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of the most destructive sins. I mean, if you look at uh, the Bible classifies sexual sin in a category, all of its own, it says, you know, all their sins, a person commits outside the body, but a person that sins sexually sins against their own body. And even if you look at you know, the first century church, I don't remember the, the, the passage, but when there, you know, there was churches splitting off, I think it was James, one of the only, there was only like two or three rules they gave him. One of them was like, okay, don't drink blood uh, from the, don't drink the blood from animals, from strangled animals or something. And don't be sexually immoral. It was like two or three things. Right. Basically, right. They didn't give him any other rules. It was just be like, okay, don't have sex right. with each other. And this one other thing. Yeah. It, it, interesting that purity was in there at the top of the list. Right. Yeah. Well, right. Appar- so, apparently it's pretty important to it's God. It's very important. Yeah. It's, it's profoundly impacted my life when I got obedient in this area. So let me ask you this. You see a lot of clients, you have a lot of you know, men that are, that are clients, you have this conference I, I saw on your website, how important is community to sexual purity for singles, especially? I would say 110% it's non-negotiable. And the reason being, I like to say purity is not a solo sport. Yeah. It's a team sport. Okay. It's not like tennis. You play all by yourself. It's like baseball or football. You are on a team with other men, okay? I've been part of a, of a purity group. We meet every Thursday night. 
a group of men. And guess how long I've been in this group? I'd have to figure it out. I, I don't know exactly, but over 15 years, it's like wow. 17 years or something. Wow. So every week I meet with a community of brothers and we talk about our stories. We talk about our struggles. We pray for each other. We encourage each other. We seek God together. We read the Bible together. Uh, you know, we share with each other. We encourage each other. We support each other. So we are on a journey of purity together. You know, when, when they send our boys to fight a battle, right, in Afghanistan or Iraq or Vietnam, you don't send one soldier into the battle all by himself because he's going to get massacred. You can't fight a battle by yourself. God designed the church for a reason. God is smart. God designed community. God intends his saints to live in little platoons where we support each other. We're with each other. We do life together and we get strength from one another. So it's incredibly important to do this uh, with other brothers. That's good. Yeah. No, I know for me, I, I tried to do it alone the first six years and it was God. And, that, and that's what most, most guys in the church are doing. And by the way, uh, I use the word plague uh, or epidemic. You know, we, we're having this epidemic right now of COVID. Well, there's another epidemic, dude, and it has to do with sex. Mm. And I'm talking about in the church yeah. because the most recent statistics tell us that 70% of Christian church-going men view internet porn on a regular basis and 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Mm. So it's something that a lot of guys are struggling with and sexual sin is very shame based. So guys don't that they don't want to be known. I don't want the guys at church to know what I'm really doing, you know? Yeah. I I don't want the pastor to know. I certainly don't want my wife to know. So we keep our sins secret, you know, yeah. which I think is embedded the DNA of it, of that is embedded all the way back into the garden of Eden. When our when our the the parents of humanity sinned, yeah. I, I did a message one time called "Fig Leaves and Bushes," because when they sinned, the first thing they put on fig leaves. Up until that, they were naked; they could see each other. So, fig leaves speaks of I'm going to hide something of who I am from you, so you can't see me. But then, when they heard God, they hid in the bushes to hide from God. So fig leaves, we hide from each other. Bushes, we hide from God because we don't want anybody to see who is the yeah. truth about the real Tony or the real Rob. So yeah. if you're going to do this thing God's way, you absolutely got to put down your fig leaves and your bushes. You've got to come into the light. You've got to walk in the light. You've got to live in the light. But there's good news, and that is God is in the light. So when we come into the light, we avail our, ourselves of the resources of God, yeah. the strength of God, the wisdom of God, uh, the forgiveness of God, the healing of God, the redemption of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. God is in the light. So you got to come into the light to find God. What a lot of men do is they stay in the bushes. They stay in the dark, right? And God is in the light. And all the good stuff is in the light, God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's strength, God's healing. So we say, okay, God, I want to do this my way. 
I'm going to stay in the darkness, but I want you to work in my heart and my life, God, and, hey. and get me free from sex addiction and from porn, but I'm not going to go into the light. Dude, yeah. it ain't going to work. You got yeah. to gotta do this God's way on God's terms. You know what? And I think why God does it that way. Well, first off, there's a scriptural uh, backing for everything you're saying. One, confess your sins to, to, to God and you'll be forgiven. So you have to you have to be honest with him first. You have to confess it and say, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm struggling here. Can you please help me? Uh, or, you know, forgive me, but it's just, I, it's, I've got a verse for you, but go ahead. Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. So that, that was it. James. Yeah, so you, you can't even get the, the power to get free unless you're honest. And because, and I really think the way God set that up is because it prevents us from hypocrisy. Like you got so many churches now where people walk around, like they got it all together and they're, you know, struggling behind closed doors where pretense. It's, yeah, it's, it's totally a form of godliness, but denying the power. Yeah. So good. So I, I think you're, you're spot on. It's, it's transparency and it's being intentional, you know, about it because as men, I think we like to, we don't like to open up to each other. I don't even, you know, I, I consider myself a fairly mature believer and I don't talk to my friends about this stuff not like I should be anyway, you know? Right. And, yeah. And I have no doubt that if, if you did that, Rob, if you were willing to do that, yeah, you will find more of God, more of his grace, mercy, strength, forgiveness, wisdom, guidance, protection, redemption. Uh, if you do it God's way, you will connect more with God and you'll have more victory, more strength, more success in the battle. Because purity is not a solo sport. You know so, what? I, I encourage people, start a group. If there's not a group in your church, start a purity group. Because one thing I promise you, dude, there are guys in your church all around you who are struggling with this. Everybody's struggling by themselves. So start a power of purity group. Go to, go to our website and, and just go to two or three brothers. Pray about it and see how the Holy Spirit leads you, and then just go up to this guy and say, hey, John, can I talk to you a minute? Can, can we go get a Coke Saturday and, and say, uh, dude, I, I'm, I'm struggling with my purity. I'm struggling with porn, with my sexual self. I feel shame. I, I need help. I'm thinking about getting just a few guys together once a week or every two weeks, and maybe we can pray and talk and encourage each other. Would you, would you be interested? Gather up a few brothers, three, four, five, six, eight brothers, because they need it just as much as you do. And if you have no other resource, there's good, good resources. Uh, I've written three books. There's a lot of good books out there. I have my podcast is 229 episodes right now. They're 30 minutes. You could sit together, six guys, listen to the, uh, an episode, 30 minutes. And then talk about it for 30 minutes and then pray for 30 minutes. Sure. Like just get together and open the conversation and dialogue and come into the light with each other. And dude, you're going to, you're going to find God there. Yeah. The point is that you just do it. It's not so much as what you do. It's the fact that you do it. That's right. So let me ask you this. Do you think that sexual sin impacts men and women the same or differently? Oh, I'm not sure I'm smart enough to know the answer to that. I, I know that it's destructive for, for everybody, right? Men and women. 
maybe it, it looks different. I, I can only imagine there's, there's a whole lot of overlap. I'm sure that, that it affects uh, men and women in similar ways. It, uh, much of the time, like I think there's probably a, a, a sense of struggle. They probably both genders feel shame. Mm-hmm. Probably both are inclined to hide it, you know? Uh, so you had mentioned, I was looking at your website, you mentioned the unholy roots of sexual sin. Right. You said there's six of them. Right. Share, share them with us briefly. Yes, uh, I can. Uh, let me do my best. Um, let me share the concept first. And that is uh, in this metaphor, you know, a tree makes fruit, right? That's the purpose of the tree. An apple tree makes apples, an orange tree makes oranges. So a tree makes fruit, but, but ultimately the fruit that comes out on a tree comes from the root system. Mm-hmm. It's the roots that go deep into the ground and they absorb moisture and nutrients that feed the tree. And eventually the, the fruit comes out. So in, in view of that metaphor, there's four key words that emerge. Fruit comes from roots. Fruit comes from roots. So in my story, when I was a Christian man, even though I'm a Christian man, so in this metaphor, Tony is a tree now. But on the tree of Tony, my Christian life, the fruit of sexual sin keeps coming out on the Tony tree. Lust, masturbation, strip clubs, adultery, pornography, all this sexual sin. But I don't want sexual sin in my life. So could you imagine a tree, an apple tree, trying real hard to not let apples come out? (laughs) It's like, dude, if the roots are there, the fruit is coming out. So what, what God showed me through my therapeutic process is that the fruit in your life is always there for a reason. It's coming from something. There are roots. And see, what God did in my therapeutic process is he helped me see and understand that some root issues that got planted in my life when I was a young boy that began to take root and to grow and become embedded in my heart and life and soul these were roots, sinful roots, sex roots, pervert, roots of perversion, and issues with sexuality. And if these sinful roots live, then the sinful fruit is going to come out on the tree of your life. So if you want to get rid of the fruit, see, most men are fighting the battle on the wrong level, Rob. They're fighting up here on the canopy of the tree. They're trying to keep the apples from coming out but it's a losing battle because if the roots live, but you're trying to not have the apples, it's an exercise in futility. So forget the apples, dude. You got to get down to some root issues. Yeah. So so tell me what were the roots? Okay. So what the roots were, this is, this is in my first book stories. Uh, Mm. I'm sorry. My second book, uh, the power of purity. And I talk about the six roots of sexual sin And these six roots are the six primary roots that God showed me early in my therapeutic process when I was trying to figure out what's wrong with Tony. So I don't know if I can name them all by memory at the moment, uh, but one is, uh, let me grab my book real quick, okay? Yeah, okay. Let me do that. Okay, that's fine. 
So if you guys are out there watching, we actually are running over a little bit. We have a movie night for City Fam tonight. I think it's just started. Um, it's called a same different kind of same kind of different, maybe. Anyway, it's playing right now. Go to the City Fam fan page as soon as this is over. You can stream it live. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Okay, I'm back. I can't. I I, I got to go in the garage to get the book. So I don't know if I'll name all six, but I'll do my yeah, best. Yeah, give me what okay. you got. Okay, one is uh, the root of pornography. Okay, uh, I believe that most Christian men way, 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 way underestimate the power of pornography. Okay, I found pornography when I was a boy. My, my dad had pornography and I found his pornography. I think I was 10 years old. Hmm. And pornography is destructive in the heart and life and soul of a young boy. Yeah. Okay. So the power of pornography, that was a root for me, a sure. primary root that got established er, very early and profoundly influenced the trajectory of, of my sexual self. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the root of pornography, uh, one is the root of the flesh. And that is just, you know, Apart from, from issues, just apart from Christ, we have the sinful flesh, right? The, the flesh loves sin. This flesh loves lust. This, the flesh loves perversion. So, so part of the battle has to do with something to do with learning to manage your sinful flesh, okay? One uh, is the root of what I call ungodly role models, Okay. And this has to do with uh, young boys. How do they learn to be men? And specifically, how do they learn to think what they think about sex? Well, I would advocate the way that God set this thing up is that young boys, uh, masculinity is not taught. It's caught. So young boys watch the senior male role models in their life their dad, their uncles, uh, neighbors, the grandpa, older brothers, cousins, friends in the neighborhood, they're watching male role models. And so they're learning, how do men talk about women? How do men talk about women's breasts? How do men look at women? How do, look at the jokes that men tell about women. Like, so ungodly role models. And, yeah. and for me, I had very ungodly role models. Uh, ex uh, examples of what a man, a sexual man is, the way a man looks at women, teases about women, the jokes he tells, what is the goal of men? And, and there's this attitude of conquest, you know, like every woman I have sex with, there's a notch on my belt. And, and the goal is to get as many notches as you can. So if a boy is growing up in this culture, this environment, that these are the lessons that he's being taught, what chance does he have to, to be a young man of God, you know? Sure. So, so I'm, what, I'm, I'm batting a thousand right now. I'm three for three on everything you said. What's okay. number, do you have a fourth? Can you remember a yeah, fourth Okay. One? So I said pornography and I said uh, the flesh and I said ungodly, uh, uh, ungodly uh, role models. The uh, fourth one is the root of generational sin. 
Mm. Okay. The Bible talks a lot about curses, generational sin, uh, familiar spirits, bondages, uh, captivities. Okay. Uh, I believe that, and I can support this biblically, um, read my book or listen to the podcast that, that there are generational in, influences that sins pass from generation to generation. For example, I, I was working with a man recently in my counseling practice and a primary struggle in his life is around alcohol. He has a drinking problem. It's caused profound, significant issues and, and, uh, consequences in his life. Well, as we get into his story, we learn that his brothers are alcoholics, his cousins are alcoholics, his uncles are alcoholics, his dad was an alcoholic, his grandpa's an alcoholic, his great grandpa was in the liquor business. So is it a coincidence there's the theme of alcohol in this family? So a lot of times we, we think, especially in the West, our American mindset, we think we stand alone. We are autonomous. I have a problem with this because of me. But a lot of times these influences come into our life, literally generational influences. It's all over the Bible. And so I believe that part of my redemptive work and healing work that I had to do with God was generational work that we need to identify and renounce the generational roots, generational curses and bondages and proclivities that have come upon our life uh, through the gateway of yeah. our ancestors. So all yeah. I'm saying is that can be part of it, part of the work. I wanted, that so I want to ask, yeah, because we're, I, I hear what you're saying with the roots. So how, how does someone that has these things, maybe they've, you know, been exposed to pornography at a young age or they had ungodly uh roots up and out of their life is it is it community is it prayer is it you know what is it how did you do well, it? well I, I might say uh all of the above all those are are good influences but but uh i would say that at the heart of the of the healing journey i would advocate uh i i I believe something that is incredibly important and significant, and it's at the epicenter of the healing journey, and it has to do with the concept of story, okay? Everybody has a story. And if you want to understand who a person is and why the person is who they are, how they became who they became, understand their story, and you will understand the person, okay? So... I believe the work has to do with uh, understanding your story. So as you, uh, this, by the way, is, is what uh, in recovery programs like AA and NA and SA programs, 12-step programs, step four is to do what they call an inventory. And this is their attempt to get at a person's story. Do an inventory of your life. Look back and evaluate your life and say, what happened to me? You know, so you begin to see these things that happen to you. And those events typically represent the deepest hurt and pain and brokenness and shame that came into our life, like those seeds 
that got planted and began to grow the roots that would eventually begin to produce the fruit. So as we understand key aspects of our story, then what we do is we bring those parts of our story to the feet of Jesus. We bring those parts of our story that are broken and wounded and hurtful and painful and shameful. We bring them from the darkness into the light. We bring them to God and we expose them to the light of God, the truth of God, the healing of God, the blood of Jesus. We bring those painful things under the healing of Christ and, and Jesus breaks chains off of our life and soul and, mm. and, and God works in us. Our, our heart changes on the inside. And at the epicenter of this whole process is that word that I shared, shared earlier, which is the word repentance. Repentance mm. is what postures us in such a way before God where we are willing to do the work that we need to do and willing to pursue God in a way that allows God to work deeply and profoundly in our hearts and lives to change us from who we used to be to who God wants us to be. And if I could share just uh, one example with you, just for the fun of it. Sure, okay? absolutely. We got we got about we got about five minutes before we get cut off here. I think I, we said it for an hour and a half. Okay, my uh, my, yeah, wa- my ahead, wife go. my wife Sherry just one fact about her life and. I, I want you to know, I talk about this with her permission. We believe God wants us to share our story. Sherry's ver- very first sexual experience happened when she was 13 years old. She was raped by a 13-year-old, uh, an 18-year-old guy. She was 13. So there's quite a story there. But if I told you nothing else about her story, do you think that being a 13-year-old girl being raped is profound. Do you think that was significant in her young heart and soul, the way she would see men, the way she would see sex, the way she would relate to her own femininity, her own sexuality, her ability to trust men, all these issues. Is it a wonder that when she met me and we got married, she had hangups about sex? Yeah, of course. Well, she had never, ever dealt with her rape. She never dealt with it. And when we finally got into our therapeutic process, because our marriage was such a freaking mess, for the first time in her life, God brought out her rape. Eventually it came around and she did this this process of therapeutic work where she finally looked at her rape and dealt with her rape and brought it to the feet of Jesus into the light of God. And she was able to experience See, healing where there was brokenness. There were lies embedded in her soul around her rape. God will take your lies and give you truth. God will take your darkness and give you light. God will take your bondage and give you freedom. God will take your torment and give you peace. So we have to bring our story into the light and we have to do this work with God. And by the way, on my podcast, it's a very powerful series of episodes I think it's 13 episodes long. I do a series called Understanding Your Story. And if you listen to that podcast series, it is worth, I, I, it sounds too arrogant for me to say. It's like going to ther- therapy for five years, okay? Save yourself $50,000 and listen to Understanding Your Story. Uh, God wants to come into your story 
to perpetrate his light, his healing, his truth, his freedom, his forgiveness, his redemption. In one word, his kingdom. And where can people find that again? Is that on your your website? Yeah, to the Power of Purity podcast. And there's, uh, Mm -hmm. you click on a button there, it shows all list of all the episodes. And there's a series there called Understanding Your Story. Hmm. Yeah, I've done done a lot lot of personal development work. uh, And and they talks about like, you know, this person, this persona, this self that you think you are, it was really a lot of it was created through your past hurts and you have these defense mechanisms. And, you know, it made me question a lot of things like, why did I become a stripper? Why did I want to become a stripper? Right. You know, why did I think, you know, I wanted to be a a, a, a ladies man. You're you're on the right rabbit trail there, Robin. It's, it's the idea of the fruit. Where did it come from? There's some roots somewhere, dude. Absolutely. There's always roots. And that's why you need to understand your story. Cause as you push into your story and you journey through your own story with God, God will begin to show you key events and root issues that, that, that took hold and grew and have profound influence mm-hmm. on the person that you would become. That's so good. All right. Last question. What's your favorite scripture? Uh, if I had to pick, uh, I have a lot of favorites. Okay. But if I had to pick, I would pick uh, Psalm chapter 147, verse 3. And I will tell you that this scripture for real, literally, uh, okay, it's not 147. Let me find it. It's, uh, it's only three verses, uh, Psalm 131, okay, three verses. I call it spiritual dynamite. Because dynamite's small, but there's a lot of power, okay? So let me just uh, read it. It says, my heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. You're not going to believe this, Tony, but in daily light, 